0: This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes.
1: I really want to thank you for the Science Equals Finance um, presentation today. and We're going to be talking about a rather difficult um, topic, which is abuse prevention. And um, I just want to preface that um, if anybody needs to leave the room, that's okay. Because a lot of people, um, people have experienced sexual assault in their own lifetimes. And, um, and it's, um, it's okay to leave the room because um, self-care is an excellent way to be an effective self-advocate. Yeah, man. And we, um, and we don't have, uh, Mark Starford and I don't have anything, financial disclosures to do. None. That's None. None at all. That's excellent. The, um, our session today is going to be focusing on sexual assault and violence against people with intellectual dis- developmental disabilities. To make it easier for myself, during the rest of the presentation, I'm going to say IDD instead. Way, way too many people have been victims of abuse or neglect, and they have fewer resources to support them than people without disabilities. People with IDD will experience violent, violent victimization at much higher rates than people without disabilities. Being silent can create more violence. We will will be sharing about the epidemic of violence and provide recommendations Mm -hmm. for all of us on how to reduce and decrease victimization of people with IDD. Um, Our learning objectives are these. Mm -hmm. And I'm just going to let them commit. I'm just going to let you uh, read them in your books instead of going over them. And um, like, like I said before, before, um, before we get started, I just want to say a preface that um, a lot of people may have strong emotions while talking about abuse prevention. You know, it's, of course, um, all right to uh, leave the room if you need to. Being, um, having self-care is a being an effective advocate and in, um, in this session, we're going to, um, this session is one way to shatter the violence, to shatter the silence that creates more the, the violence. Um, matter of fact, um, I see that the epidemic of abuse has a big impact on many of us. As I, as I call it, it's a call to action. Yeah, man. According according to the Bureau of Justice and Statistics and Natural Crime Victimization Survey, violent crime that includes rape, sexual assault, um, robbery, and um, assault against persons with disabilities happen more than three times the rate than people without disabilities. People with IDD have the highest rates at all. 57.9 per thousand, that's a huge rate. Now we're going to be talking about the NPR abuse and betrayed series. In 2018, as a part of its investigation into the hidden epidemic of sexual violence, NPR reached out to people with intellectual disabilities across the nation to hear their voices. We will, we will play a two-minute audio from the interview Joseph Shapiro facilitated as part of that series.
2: We're about to bring you voices of people who've hardly been heard in the national conversation about sexual harassment and assault. They are Americans who are exceptionally vulnerable, yet up to this moment their experience has rarely been discussed. NPR's Investigations Unit spent a year reporting on sexual assaults against people with intellectual disabilities. Our correspondent, Joseph Mm -hmm. Shapiro, found previously undisclosed government numbers showing they are attacked far more often than other people. And, Joe, how often is it?
3: People with intellectual disabilities are sexually assaulted at a rate that's seven times that of people without disabilities.
2: Seven times more. Seven
3: times. We asked the U.S. Department of Justice Mm -hmm. to calculate that rate for us. I I knew from my reporting that it collected the data, but it hadn't released it until we asked. We're calling this an epidemic of sexual assault.
2: Now, now, when you revealed this exceptionally high number to people who work with those who have intellectual disabilities, were they surprised?
3: It matches their experience. Like Cheryl Whitescott, she's a physician in New York City, and she has a practice just with people with intellectual disabilities. And she figures at least half the women that she sees have been the victims of sexual assault
1: we'd be outraged. If it was, God forbid, children, or if it was the elderly that was abused at that high rate, we would be outraged. And it's underreported
2: and unrecognized. But why would the rate be so high for this particular population?
3: Part of it is that people with intellectual disabilities, they need to rely upon other people. They're taught to trust other people. We told you we're going to hear lots of voices in this series of people with intellectual disabilities who are survivors of rape, and here's one of them, James Medris from San Antonio.
4: I think it's more common because a lot of people sometimes, I don't want to say easy target, but it is an easy target because people try to work so hard to try to find friends and try to fit in our community.
3: Mm. These people are at risk all the time, in their group homes, at school, at work, in the vans that take them to those places. Our numbers show they're more likely than others to be sexually assaulted by someone they know. And, Steve, another reason for the high rates of assault is that these cases rarely get prosecuted. That means an abuser is free to abuse again. In one of my stories, I went back to Essex County, New Jersey. That's where one of the first cases ever got national attention, in Glenridge, New Jersey. There was a trial in 1993. 1990- Two in 1993, and Steve, I know you covered that trial. Yeah,
2: it was one of my earlier uh, stories as a reporter, a dismaying story of high school athletes, four of them who were convicted of luring a 17-year-old uh, special education student into a basement and raping her. Right, and one of the stories in my series...
1: In that, uh, that NPR interview with um, Dulce Apparel is very powerful to me because I realized I was not alone. And it's a national problem, abuse is. Sexual authority gets people with IDD. It's a silent epidemic. Who commits the abuse? The, this infograph shows that a majority, 66%, know their abuser. The highest percentage was victims victimized by an acquaintance. Second highest by an intimate partner third by a relative, and 30% by a stranger. Most were acquaintances. That includes people from programs, paid caregivers, and community community people. This shows that people with disabilities, a major majority of the time, know their offender. In the old days, we were taught about stranger danger. We know now that it's people that we know casually or intimately. Let's not forget that this happens to men with IDD too. They experience much higher rates than those without disabilities. This, the organization 106.org last year did a public service announcement, including a male with IDD. For the first time, that public service announcement was seen over 4 million times. That is a great number, folks. A lot of awareness. Awareness is growing. What is important that a male with IDD was included for the very first time and general public became aware that it could happen to them too. And also, women and girls with IDD, men and boys with IDD, can be sexually assaulted and trafficked. They also are afraid to talk about it.
5: There's an important blog on the National Arc website written by uh, three self-advocates, one being Keisha and two male um, with intellectual and developmental disabilities talking about the difficulty in reporting, just talking, what it, just expressing themselves uh, as men who've experienced sexual abuse and violence. And there, that blog also has recommendations for all of us, including the general public.
1: Thank you, Mark. Appreciate it. Reporting <laughs> the facts, as we see in the circle graph, People with disabilities, especially IDD, really have their victimization reported. For self-advocates, some of the reasons include haven't been taught about what, what abuse is, don't know where to start. Also, many are threatened. If they tell someone, they fear that they will lose their home, work, friends, benefits. If 70% of the cases go unreported, many of of the abused, then we are realized up to 90% according to the National Association of Councils on Developmental Disabilities. Many many were taught not to to recognize abuse. And they have to put up with unsafe relationships. Often a disability makes it more difficult to report. Even if civil does report, investigation is often delayed or does not happen at all, thinking that we could be making up the story. Also, very troubling is that when abuse happens, programs, in programs, it is often uh, seen as an employment issue. In, Nothing said. No, no report.
5: This is extremely troubling. This last, um, the last comment that Keisha made about programs at a recent conference. Someone came forward after hearing the presentation and was said that their administration and their program they work for told their staff, "Do not report. Do not outreach. Bring the information to them, and they will take care of it." By admission, and this was a large uh, program throughout the state, and that that APS and law enforcement had, from her experience, never been called. And as Keisha said, it was treated as an employment issue. It was not treated as a crime. So as we're talking about the dilemmas right now, we're going to go on to talking about some possible solutions, recommendations, uh, but training, training, training for all care providers, agencies in the state is paramount.
1: Yeah, I am. I'll definitely agree with that, Mark. (coughs) Training is paramount among everybody, among self-advocates, healthcare providers, social workers, APS, regional center workers. Okay. Over, over the past few years, our team has spoken and worked with many self-advocate survivors who share their personal experiences and concerns. Highlights of the problems they shared include not being seen credible because of their disability, they're not taken seriously. And many communicate in non-traditional ways and need accommodations in order to communicate. Lack of a trusted ally to talk with. Being taught to be, cl- in, being taught to be compliant by, uh, by our parents and in school. To, 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 uh, to, to go along and to be, and to go along to what we're told. It's very dangerous for children and adults to be compliant and not taught how to identify abuse, because when abuse happened to me several times, I didn't know what it was and I didn't know what to what to do. So um, we, um, so the thing is, is that we need we need to be trained in sex, sex education, and relationship uh, um, education. And, we, and the thing is, is that we don't really know what abuse is. Too many victims live in a sheltered world, making it difficult to report or even tell somebody. And as my friend and fellow self advocate says, James Madure, without reporting, the cycle of abuse continues.
5: So last May, Keisha did the keynote at the self advocacy conference in Sacramento. Uh, there were approximately 350 uh, self-advocates and care providers there, and it was announced several times during the keynote that if this topic is disturbing, there were people from APS, law enforcement um, regional center, and someone from DDS outside and would go and talk to people. Six people reported about ongoing abuse happening currently throughout the state. So. Um, I guess this reinforces the the point that abuse continues unless we provide avenues and supports for people to share information and to know it's safe.
1: Thank you, Mark. Um, Ongoing ongoing barriers to support. This infographic, produced by Leanne Davis of the ARC's National Center for Criminal Justice and Disability, highlights the cycle of events that typically occur First, the victimization um, happens. <clears throat> then, not recognized as abuse, n- not reported or disclosed. Then the person is then the person is not usually believed or taken seriously. No therapy is provided, or inappropriate therapy is provided. Finally, no trial, no conviction. Offenders can offer reoffend and do abuse to other people. Looking at this graphic feels quite depressing to me. This is why I believe that we are needed to all work together. We need each other to break this cycle. To, to summarize this information, minimal interagency collaboration, lack of data and sharing, MIMNO training for health care providers, social workers, and self-advocates. Inadequate follow-up for victims. Lack of communication to victims when reporting. Means impossible outcomes that could occur.
5: So when we look at inter-agency collaboration, We have learned over the years that it's very difficult for, as we say, for agencies to come out of their silo, for disability organizations, advocacy agencies themselves, state agencies, to work with others, share data, move and work together collaboratively, and engage, engage, engage the community. We're finding that it's at the community level, we can keep it at the academic level, but we don't make impacts into individual people's lives. Um, the training, we're going to talk a little bit more into solutions in a minute and show you some example of training healthcare providers and especially those that are in uh, smaller communities that don't have the access and awareness that we do in the Bay Area or in Southern California.
1: Now, now everybody, I'm going to tell you my story about my rate. I am a survivor of sexual assault several times. A few months ago, the National Arc Arc Center for National Center for Criminal Justice and Disability published my Me Too story that I'm going to tell you now. Last March, also the Huffington Post published my story and my recommendations for change. The last time sexual assault has happened to me, it began at a self-advocacy meeting. That's where I met Michael, a other self-advocate. We had a lot in common, like our want to play chess with each other. After my self-advocacy meeting, I invited Michael to back to my apartment in, in Southern California to play chess with me. As soon as I opened the door, he kissed me, and he pushed me down to my couch. He proceeded to rape me. Michael had betrayed my trust. I was bruised and my body hurt from the rape. After he left, I had reported it to the local police department. The woman police officer told me that they would have to talk with Michael. They did, and the police department told me that my case was closed because our Stories. Michael and I's stories were not the same. Michael had told the police department that the sex was consensual. I just want to tell you right now, it was not. I didn't want to have sex with the guy. And, and the thing is, is that um, when, um, when, when Michael said that it was consensual, I was so mad at him. I called my case manager at my regional center. She, filled, she listened and filled out this special instant report that was required, but she did not give me any supportive solutions like where to go to my doctor or go to the ER to get some monthly checks or where to reach out to get therapy, not even asking how I was or if I had someone to talk with. I waited and waited for a follow-up call from my case manager at the regional center. She never called. I kept on calling her. She never returned my phone calls. At that time in my life, I didn't know what else to do. I never got a copy of the report. And I don't know if she had um, talked to the APS or not. I never, even though she's a mandated reporter, I never got a visit from a social worker. The system failed me, plain and simple. For several years, I sank into a deep depression. I can't get motivated in life. Feeling sane about what happened to me and nowhere to turn, I finally opened to a service provider I was working with at the time. Even though I I did not report even though I said to the service provider I was raped. She knew that something was wrong with me because the way I was behaving. My provider got me the support I needed. I believe now, ever and ever, the system had victimized me and I should be able to get the support I needed. I'm healthy today because I was referred to an excellent program with trauma-informed specialized therapy and a structured follow-up that continues today. Currently, I use my leadership role to bring together different agencies to develop solutions to this problem, such as being a founding member of the Sonics Equal statewide network and co-chair of the Peer Support Network nationally. My story, unfortunately, is not unique. People with IDD experience abuse and sexual assault at much higher rates than without the people without disabilities. As Dave Majerus, a national self-advocate, says, we are easy targets, and that includes men with IDD as well. Silence equals more violence. It is up to all of us in our own way to, to break the silent epidemic. I want to thank you for uh, listening to my story.
5: we got to hurry up. Okay. So now on to some solutions. We know what the problem is. Lots of us have uh, been witness over the years. We've read, <clears throat> excuse me, we've been involved. So, we want to go and spend the rest of the time now talking about recommendations about our next steps.
1: Here are some some solutions. There are many dedicated people throughout the country that are going to bring attention to this epidemic and finding more ways to work with each other. Convenient slide Two. Two, very good. One way people, Um, are working together in in the countries that they had their first national convening for the Peer Support Network last August at the NASA Conference, the National Adult Protective Services Association. The convening was sponsored by Massachusetts Disabled Persons Protection Commission. Topics that we talked about at the first convening are barriers to reduce sexual abuse against people with disabilities. Ways to move trauma-informed care forward. Organizing a peer support network. Starting a national campaign to increase awareness of sexual assault, identify promising practices and reduce barriers Get people with um, IDD gain appropriate follow-up support.
5: So the convening uh, was the idea of Nancy Alterio from, Mas- from Boston. Their state is unique, one of the only ones in the country that look at a collective or a collaborative approach between therapy, law enforcement, district attorney, uh, and adult protective services all under one roof and also do statewide training of rape crisis centers and working with people with intellectual disabilities. Uh, that convening... Um, was a pre-conference, assuming in the beginning there would be 25 or 30 people nationally. Uh, The room was overfilled with 70 and over 200 on live streaming for the entire event. The follow-up will be this year in California in Anaheim at the National Sexual Assault Conference sponsored by CALCASA. Uh, That's going to be an important one to move the movement forward. And uh, the campaign has recently been named Stronger Together and it's developing a national partnerships that put people with intellectual disabilities who are survivors up front and directing. As Keisha said, uh, the formation of the National Peer Support Network will be piloted in Massachusetts and California in 2021 and then moved to Texas and throughout the country thereafter. The whole point is to bring this into the general population's awareness and to ensure that there's adequate and appropriate training across the board for all providers.
1: And this this is is what we... What can we all do? Many people ask and have done, and everybody realizes that abuse is a huge problem between all of us. Here are some ideas. Increasing training and always including training Um, people with survivors who have been abused as co trainers. Provide abuse recognition and prevention education. Educate health advocates and their allies about reporting. Always trust and believe survivors and do a follow-up. Educate health care providers, social workers, providers in rape crisis centers. Appropriate follow-up for trauma-informed service. Now here are some recommendations. Increased reporting by health for, by care providers. They are important to all of us, and they are mandated reporters. However, too many do not report. They need training on their legal responsibilities. As mandated, mandated reporters, there's a free online Mandated reporting um, pinning on um, cdds.california.gov slash mandated reporting the role of APS and how to contact them. Understand the needs of LGBTQ and gender non-forming patients with IDD and always use everyday language.
5: Mm-hmm. So, we're looking at healthcare providers, we uh, are going to move quickly through one or two more slides so we can show you uh, a video. And it was a, a project that was funded by the With Foundation and with uh, leadership and direction from NCCJD, which is
1: National, yeah, the National Center for Criminal Justice and
5: Disability. <laughs> that, that's a long name. That's so, a tongue twister. And it focuses on patient healthcare provider relationship. So moving swiftly, all of these are in the book and I'm sure they'll be online as well with significant resources we've provided. Yes, that's true. So uh, very quickly to increase the victim understanding, uh, use short videos, these are recommendations that have come from self-advocates as well as leaders in the field. We believe, and we have seen over and over again, that initiating conversations with self-advocates with appropriate facilitation, and that's trained facilitation at advocacy meetings is powerful and allows people, a forum, to openly communicate. And again, with the assurance that there'd be support available, trauma-informed support. Uh, I wanna just focus on the last one. Um, And it's creating handouts and ensuring that materials and tools that we provide to people are accessible. Um, The other hat that we wear is in plain language. And we know very definitely that we cannot uh, live human rights and our civil rights unless we understand what is being shared with us. And it means engaging the intended audience, which would be people who are survivors, self-advocates, in whatever it is we develop and have available in our offices or in regional centers throughout the state.
1: Sam, um, um, here's, here's some recommendations for providers. Know, know your legal responsibilities. Have employees take the <laughs> online training um, very well and always update annually every year. Do deeper background checks when hiring. When a person reports, provide privacy and accommodations. in In cases of being report report of the of the abuse being reported to you, is not just an employment issue.
5: So really quickly, uh, the beginning of collaboration and coalition building is happening in California. It's called the Silence Equals Violence Network. It meets every other month in Sacramento at uh, CFILC. That's the California Foundation for Independent Living. And basically, agencies, advocacy organizations, self-advocates come together and begin bridging the gap between disability and elder justice, working to see what we have in common, how can we support each other, knowing that some of these problems of abuse, neglect, and uh, violence are shared between the two. It is, again, just the beginning. It was formed in, in 2016, and the reason it was is that there was an initiative to create an institute where 50 agencies come together, and what all of us learned Uh, is that there was an interest at that time of really coming together and coalescing. So this was brought together to begin that before they become a real study.
1: Yeah, let's um, let's talk about one of my favorite topics. Let's talk about sexual violence. This is a new project where self-advocate survivors took a leadership role. With funding with the WIF Foundation and oversight by the National Center for Criminal Justice and Disability, we created an easy tool that really helps health care providers um, when a patient with IDD reports abuse to them.
5: Right. very quickly.
1: Yes. And, and the purpose of it is to increase patient-centered conversations, increase community referrals when reporting, and decrease Healthcare providers discomfort and talking about sexual violence with people, people with IDD.
5: So, I'll do, so this the first video we're going to watch now. It's about two and a half minutes long. is a vignette, and it's Keisha talks to her doctor, and it's a sample of what a conversation can be like with a physician in less than three minutes. And while we know it's extraordinarily simplistic. It it just barely scratches the surface. This project was uh, led by an advisory group of healthcare professionals, Adult Protective Services, regional center self-advocates, and families. And what we heard loud and clear from uh, physicians and uh, nurses and practitioners is that if it is long, it will not be watched. It is not a high priority out in the general community. So it is short, it's tight, it's a way of getting the first step Prior to, there are two videos um, that part of phase one, which is the Keisha one, and the first one is instructive to a physician. The second one is the vignette, which we'll show now.
0: Good morning Keisha, it's good to see you today.
1: Good morning, how are you?
0: I'm fine. How are you feeling?
1: Well, Dr. Prez, my name is Debbie and I'm Keisha's new caregiver and she seems to have an infection again.
0: Thank you, Debbie. I appreciate you sharing that, but I'd like to hear from Keisha first. Your tests show you have another urinary tract infection. Let's see if we can figure out why this keeps happening. It's all right, Keisha. You can talk to me. I'm ready to listen.
1: I don't feel good. It hurts.
0: Is something happening I should know about?
1: I don't know.
0: I've noticed that you have a large bruise on your arm. That must hurt.
1: It really does.
0: Keisha, I'd like to speak to you alone for a few minutes. Would that be okay? You can go to the waiting room, Debbie. Nurse will call you back shortly. Joan, would you come in for a moment? Now let's take a look at that bruise.
1: Tell me how you got it. I'm not sure.
0: You remember Joan. I've asked her to join us, is that okay?
1: Hi Keisha, nice to see you. Hi Joan.
0: You know Keisha, people with developmental disabilities get hurt more often than other people and it's not their fault. They're often forced to have unwanted sex. I need to ask you about that now, even though I know it's hard to talk about.
1: I know. I think it happened to my friend.
0: I'm sorry to hear about your friend. I hope she's getting some help. I'm worried about why you've had so many infections and how you got this bruise. Would it be easier to use a chart like this to tell me what happened?
1: I think so.
0: Point to any pictures that shows where you were hurt.
1: Someone made me have sex, but I didn't want to.
0: When someone forces you to have sex, that's never okay. That's called rape.
1: That's what's been happening to me. I hated it. But I'm not supposed to talk about it. I'm afraid.
0: You're being very brave. You always have the right to say no to any unwanted sex.
1: But I didn't think anybody would believe me.
0: I believe you, Keisha. You can report the abuse to your social worker and to the police. In our community, there are crisis intervention services that help women who have been sexually abused.
1: And here's a card with a number on it you can call for help. Thank you, Joan. You're welcome.
0: Before we finish, I want to make sure you understand what we talked about. What do you remember?
1: Raper is never okay, and it's not my fault. There are people who want to help me.
0: That's right. Joan, please ask Debbie to come back in, and let's make a follow-up appointment in two weeks.
5: Okay. So we know that this is overly simplistic, and it's for distribution across the country. And when we started to do research, we realized that the laws and the temperament in uh, states, some of them in the South, were very, very different than California and New York. So as a result, uh, we had to pull way back in what was said and, and how it was shown to ensure that at some point uh, physicians or pe- anybody would look at it. Uh, delicate balance when it's more than just our own community. The second video, if we have the... Well, do we have an extra five minutes or so? It's okay. Uh, Basically is from phase two, and that really addressed uh, sexual assault with men with IDD. And this video really is an advocacy-based one. It's where Keisha and James Metters talks to Dr. Howard about advocacy.
1: See, Dr. Howard, Thank you for your time. Both James and I are survivors of sexual violence. We want to share our experiences to encourage others to speak up and get support.
6: Well, I hope the conversation we had will help both people with disabilities and healthcare professionals like myself. You know, until you started telling me what happened to you, I realized how hard it is to talk about this topic.
1: Very much so. At first I was told to keep it a secret and I was scared about what would happen if I told anyone.
4: I do not usually talk much, and I did not think anyone would believe me. Men are
6: supposed to be strong and take care of themselves. It's important for people to understand sexual violence is never their fault. You
1: have to report sexual assault, don't you?
6: Yes, we have that responsibility, as do other service providers. The fact is, I was surprised to learn that assault happens more often to people with developmental disabilities, both women and men. But it's also important that victims tell someone they trust, like a friend, family member, or a caseworker.
4: You did report my rape to the protective services. They helped me connect with a rape crisis center. And. I called the police,
1: too. I learned during counseling that I had trauma because of my rape. It took time, but I'm getting back to my life. My salvation group supports me, too. I was scared. It was
4: hard for me to feel better about myself. But I am working on it. Now, Kishan and I are speaking to others about sexual violence. And it helps people when they hear us to tell our stories. If someone gets upset when they're hearing them, and they are support people to help.
6: Your advocacy work is very important. It helps other victims come forward to report sexual assault crimes and get the support they need.
4: We do not need to hide weird words like rape just because we have a disability.
1: We don't have to live in silence or feel alone. We can speak for ourselves and stop the epidemic of sexual violence.
5: These are available for viewing on talkaboutsexualviolence.org. That is a web page on the National Arc's website. Not only are six videos available there, but there are resources for physicians, for healthcare providers, advocacy groups. There are fill-in plain language handouts for self-advocates, charts, referral cards. Virtually... Um, anything that would be needed to initiate the conversation and also back up to every element that you saw in both videos uh, about teach-back and about some of the the methods that could be used when a patient sees a doctor. And again, this was based upon uh, visits for male and female, and our prescription was it had to be framed within an 11-minute meeting with a doctor because of their schedule, which is why it's simplistic and very short.
1: Um, here are some recommendations from Let's Talk Sexual Violence Project Advisors. These are, few, these are a few suggestions from the advisory team made of survivors, service providers, healthcare providers, a full report of recommendations along with support resources are online, just like Mark said. Let's go through the recommendations. And sir, all mandated reporters follow the law and get training. Educate health care providers about accessible communication. Ensure health care providers have community resources, information available in each office. And those resources need to be in plain language so everybody can understand in different languages. Additionally, to increase support for victims with IDD, Regional centers and APS should initiate an MOU to share training and knowledge.
5: So uh, that last one, which is really important, uh, there are two elements to that. The first is that an advisory group was the Consumer Advisory Committee at Alta Regional Center. One of their key recommendations was to have a one-sheet available that was designed by self-advocate survivors that would be shared with service coordinators and provided to them annually at IPP meetings. It's really simple to do, and it just requires a little bit of training of service coordinators if somebody discloses. The other, the MOU, um, we perceive and have talked to APS and there was a presentation at ARCA Uh, last year about developing a system-wide, not an individual regional center, but a system-wide MOU so there's consistent training and collaboration between APS and all 58 counties and with the 21 regional centers. We consider that to be number one baseline essential for regional centers to all be equally on board, a real priority.
1: Now now I'm going to give you... My Pacific message, we're all stronger together. Yay, man. People can overcome Trump and take charge. Join the conversation take action. And finally, we need people to believe us. We need to be independent and grow. We need to be community members. And here's, um, here's our contact information. My, uh, my email, Mark Stafford's email and the National Center for Criminal Justice website, along with the Talk About Sexual Violence website that Mark Stafford just told you about.
5: The following, which we will not go over, but they're available in the booklet, and I assume online, are resources that are available online that extend beyond what NCCJD has available, um, even more so. And then one that also some around human trafficking and what is happening in the disability community with children, adolescents, and adults who are, uh, unfortunately, victims of human trafficking. We do know that the Administration of Community Living is also looking at this also as a paramount issue. So on that note, we appreciate your patience because we're about six minutes over. And thank you for the opportunity to bring this core, core information. It's a
1: a great honor to speak to everyone today, and I hope you learned a lot. Thank you.
0: You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.